Welcome to another mini-sode of Murder, Myth, and Mystery. I am your host, Eric, and today I'm joined by Mary. Hello. And our guest host, Michelle. Hello. Hey, Michelle, how are you? I'm doing great. How this are is, you? This is, oh, I'm great. This is like take like 18, because <laughs> Mary can't get her shit in Listen order here to today. that tone. Oh, oh I'm great. <laughs> oh, I'm fucking great. <laughs> fucking wonderful. Peachy. Peachy king. <laughs> Speaking of peach, I'm drinking a lovely peach wine. <laughs> nice peach rosé. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it does look very lovely, though. In your dinosaur peach cup. In my winosaurus. Wine peach cup, your wine cup, whatever. I can't even talk now. Yeah, I'm, I'm all flustered. Whatever. <laughs> I really got in your head. You did. You, you fucked with my head. Yes. 14 years ago. And it never left. Anywho. I gave you the chance right up to the preacher to walk away <laughs> this is your own bad this is true i got nobody to blame but myself i suppose uh first of all i want to thank michelle for joining us yes michelle thank my, you i'm happy to be here my bell one of my oldest and dearest friends and former <laughs> drinking buddy <laughs> partner in crime oh yeah definitely heterosexual <laughs> life mate for sure Definitely. Yeah, if you hear Mary refer to her as Michelle, it's because she says her name like the Beatles song. Mm-hmm. Michelle, my bell. Mm-hmm. 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 So thank you again. I really do appreciate you stopping by. So this week's mini-sode is actually a patron suggestion. Ooh. So for those of you who aren't aware, our $10 and up patrons are able to submit a request to us that we will do. We will do it as long as it hasn't already been done and it does fit into the mold of murder, myth, and mystery, and murder, myth, and or mystery, I should say, then we will do your suggestion. So this one comes from our longtime listener. That sounds weird to say that, but uh, she's been with us for a long time now, Meredith Morrow. Meredith, I love her. Yeah, Meredith is pretty great. So first of all, thank you so friggin' much, Meredith. You are amazing. So, Meredith asked that we do one that is uh, it's a pretty interesting little guy here, and he's actually a little inspirational in the, in the movie world, and you'll, you'll start picking up why as we talk along here. So, and maybe you might have heard of him. Gary Heidnick has the distinction of being Philadelphia's most infamous killer. Born in the Cleveland suburb of East Lake, Ohio, on November 22nd, 1943, Heidnick had a bit of a rough life right from the start. His mother was an alcoholic who also suffered from depression. Her drinking led to his parents getting divorced in 1946. Initially, Gary and his little brother, Terry, lived with their mother, but after a few years, her drinking had gotten so bad, she sent them to live with their father. Life with dear old dad wasn't really any better. Gary was a bedwetter, well into grade school. His father would get so angry with the boy, he would hang the soiled sheets outside of Gary's bedroom window so everyone could see how pitiful he really was. He was also known to hang the boys outside of their window by their ankles to teach them a lesson. Wow. Yeah, father of the year here. Mm -hmm. His father soon remarried, and neither of the boys really cared too much for their new stepmom. She was also a strict disciplinarian and would frequently butt heads with the boys. But alas, their father would always take her side, of course. At some point as a child, Gary and his brother were climbing a tree in their yard when Gary fell and landed on his head. 
This caused his cranium to become misshapen and also resulted in a behavioral problems later in life. He was a very smart child, though. He performed well in school and was found to have an IQ of 148, which is high enough to qualify for membership in Mensa. If you're not familiar, Mensa is an organization for those with an IQ in the top 2% in the world, though he never did apply for membership. He had trouble making friends, and he was quite socially awkward. Being called football head by your fellow classmates probably didn't help much either. At 14 years old, Heidnick enrolled at Staunton Military Academy in Virginia. He lasted two years at the school before returning home to enroll in public school again. But it didn't last long. He ended up dropping out at 17 and joined the Army at his father's urging. He did extremely well in basic training, earning very high marks from his drill sergeant. Having done so well in training, Heidnick felt that he would have the pick of the litter when it came to specialist positions. He applied for several of them, but was rejected for all of them. In the end, he was assigned to become a medic and sent to San Antonio, Texas for training. Shortly after his initial medical training, he was transferred to an army surgical hospital in what was then West Germany. By August of 1962, Heidnick started complaining of blurred vision, severe headaches, and nausea. A neurologist on the base diagnosed him with gastroenteritis, which is just a fancy term for severe diarrhea. He also noted that Heidnick appears to possibly be (laughs) suffering from some sort of mental illness and prescribed him with stelazine, which used to be used to treat schizophrenia. By October of that year, he was transferred to a military hospital in Philadelphia where he was officially diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. Following this diagnosis, he was honorably discharged from the Army after serving only 13 months. Upon being let go from the military, Heidnick opted to stay in the city of brotherly love. Though he was receiving a disability pension from the Army, he knew that he would still need to find work. So he went to school and received his nursing license within a year. He got a job as a psychiatric nurse at a veterans hospital, but his poor social skills led to him being combative with some of the patients. This ultimately led to his dismissal. He spent the next several years in and out of different nursing jobs. He also found himself spending time in psychiatric hospitals, though not for employment. His mental illness caused him to go to some pretty dark places, which resulted in him attempting suicide on multiple occasions. He would spend a little time in a hospital, be deemed okay, and then let back out into the world, only for it to all start all over again. Mental illness seems to have run in the family, too. His brother Terry also spent his fair share of time in mental institutions. In 1970, his mother was fighting bone cancer and still losing her battle with alcoholism. At a certain point, she just gave up and overdosed on mercuric chloride. Her death hit him hard. However, he did find a way to channel his grief. He started a church. In 1971, he founded the United Church of the Ministers of God, and he became ordained as Brother Heidnick. He opened a brokerage account in the church's name with Merrill Lynch, with an initial deposit of $1,500. With his savvy knowledge of the stock market, he was able to turn that $1,500 into more than $500,000 over the next 15 years. It turns out that running a church can be a lucrative business. Who knew? I knew. Did you? I'm going to start one. (laughs) Started a cult, now I'm going to start a church. Well, we need a church for the cult. I do things differently. (laughs) (laughs) 
1976, he bought a three-story house in Philadelphia and moved in with his girlfriend, Anne Jeanette Davidson, who just so happened to be mentally disabled. With a house that size, he had room to spare, so he rented out the rooms on two of the floors. It didn't take long for Heidnick to lose his temper with one of his tenants, though, when he shot at the man. Luckily, he only grazed his face, but Heidnick <laughs> was charged with aggravated assault and spent a short amount of time in jail. Luckily, yes. Luckily, he didn't kill him, so. In March of 1978, Anne Jeanette gave birth to a baby girl named Maxine. You would think this would be a happy event for Heidnick, but the child was put into foster care. Anne Jeanette had a sister named Alberta, who was also mentally disabled. Alberta's condition was much worse than her sister's and had to live in a mental institution in nearby Harrisburg. Heidnick visited Alberta and checked her out of the hospital on a day leave, but instead of taking her out to have fun, he chained her up in his basement where he raped and forcefully sodomized the poor girl. When she wasn't returned back to the institution, the police were called, and eventually they made their way to Heidnick's house where they found Alberta chained up in the basement. She couldn't really speak due to her disability, but a medical examination did show that she had been raped and that she and that he had given her gonorrhea as well. He was arrested and found guilty of rape, kidnapping, false imprisonment, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. After serving the first two years of his sentence, he was granted an appeal and his sentence was char- uh, changed to be served in a mental institution until 1983. Upon his release, Heidnick sold his old home and purchased another three-story home in town. He also started corresponding with a woman in the Philippines named Betty Disto through a mail-order bride service. (laughs) After riding back and forth for almost two years, she finally made her way to Philadelphia in September of 1985, and the pair were married within weeks. Now, this may come as somewhat of a shocker, but this marriage was kind of doomed from the start. What? I know. If only there was a clue. I know. Over the course of the next three months, she caught him cheating with three separate women. He made her watch him have sex with other women, and he repeatedly raped her. By January of 1986, she left his ass and he was arrested and charged with spousal rape and assault. He didn't serve much time for this crime, though. I'm guessing because it was a domestic issue. At this point, Gary's mental illness seemed to be growing worse. As 1986 rolled on, he started to fantasize about having sex slaves and a harem of African-American women that could provide him with beautiful children. On November 25th, he decided to act on those feelings. He picked up an 18-year-old sex worker named Josefina Rivera and brought her back to his place. After taking her to his bedroom and having sex with her, he choked her until she lost consciousness. When she woke up, she had been taken down to the basement where she was chained to a pipe while he dug a pit in the floor. If she misbehaved, he would put her in the pit and place a weighted board on top of it to punish her. The pit was only about four feet deep, but the shallowness actually made it kind of worse since she had to crouch the whole time. Just over a week later, on December 3rd, he kidnapped a mentally challenged girl whom he had previously dated for a short while named Sandra Lindsay. Apparently, she got pregnant from their little tryst and had an abortion. Being a man of God, this didn't fly too well with Heidnick, so he took her as another one of his sex slaves to be held in the basement. The two women were repeatedly raped and beaten and were given very little food or water. Not being satisfied with the size of his harem, Heidnick knew that he needed more women. So, on December 23rd, he brought 19-year-old Lisa Thomas to his house. While they sat and talked over a bottle of wine, he drugged her wine, 
when she wasn't looking. When she woke up, she was locked up in the basement with the other two girls. On January 2nd, he kidnapped Deborah Dudley. This one was a bit more feisty than the other three and would occasionally fight back against him. Because of this, she was punished much more often than the others. He decided at this point to teach them a lesson by humiliating them as he felt like it. He would regularly force them to have sex with each other and only give them dog food to eat. His fifth girl was Jacqueline Askins, whom he abducted on January 18th. He continued to rape and humiliate the girls at every chance. On February 7th, he decided to punish the already emaciated Sandra Lindsay by hanging her from a rafter beam by one wrist. She remained there for two days while she developed a high fever and passed out. On the third day, he went to check on her, and she had died. So he took the body upstairs and used a power saw to dismember it. Whoa! He boiled the head in a pot on the stove and placed her upper torso in the oven and cooked it. I should have saved my woe. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't sure what to do with the arms and legs, so he put them in the freezer and marked them as dog food. There were rumors that he had also used some of the flesh to mix in with the dog food that he was feeding to the girls, but Ooh. this has not been definitely proven. When neighbors complained about the foul odor coming from his kitchen, the police paid him a visit. When asked about the odor, he calmly stated that he had burned a roast. Feeling that this seemed like a totally legit answer, they simply left without <laughs> checking anything out. Like, I make my own bone broth and the house will stink. Yeah. So I can only imagine that smell. Mm-hmm. And it, smell, yeah. it smells nothing like a burnt roast. No. <laughs> well, the cops believed him, apparently. Realizing that the girls were getting restless, he decided to bribe them with food and TV time if they would rat on each other. Josephina started warming up to Heidnik with what appears to be Stockholm Syndrome. She told him that the other girls were planning an escape, so he blindfolded all of the girls except for Josephina and proceeded to stick a screwdriver into their ears and twisting it to burst their eardrums so they wouldn't hear him coming down the stairs. Oh. Plus, they wouldn't be able to plot as easily. Jos- oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Anything with ears. Oh. Right? <laughs> Josephina was rewarded with the promised TV time upstairs and real food and water. As a result, she started aiding Heidnik in his torture of the other girls. She helped him hook up a large wire to a live socket that he could use to electrocute his victims whenever he felt like it. All the while, Deborah Dudley was still the fighter. She would mouth off to him all the time and always resisted him when he raped her. Good girl. So to punish her, he filled the pit with water and made her get in it. He then placed the live wire in the water and watched as she was electrocuted to death. Josephina helped him dispose of the body in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. On March 23rd, he abducted Agnes Adams with Josephina's assistance. The next day, Josephina asked if she could visit her family. Seeing as she was now on his side, he agreed to let her visit her family as long as she came back. He took her to a gas station and told her to meet him back at the same spot in an hour while he waited. She walked a couple blocks away to her boyfriend's house and called 911. The police showed up and she told them the whole story. She then led them to the gas station where Heidnik was still waiting for her. Following his arrest, the other three girls were also freed from the basement. His trial began in June of 1988. As to why he kept all these women locked in his basement, Heidnik's answer was that they were already there when he moved in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's 
the newest house feature. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. So do they have to state that in the listing? I, Is it I like a ghost or murder? Or this was a former crack house thing? I, I don't know. I'm not Previous sure. Previous locked up chained well, girls? If, if anybody, any of our listeners are realtors, you'll have to let us know. <laughs> right. And Carrie and Maya, yeah. I'm yeah. curious about this. <laughs> his defense attorney tried the insanity plea. But when his stockbroker showed how he had turned $1,500 into more than 500 k in 15 years, the judge wasn't buying insanity. The stockbroker would talk about how he would make these really savvy decisions with him mm-hmm. and just very well-educated decisions. For the most part, yeah. To play the stock, you have to... You, yeah, you've got to be pretty well, sane. you know, you're a broker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On July 1st, Heidnick was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, Five of kidnapping, six of rape, four of aggravated assault, and one of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. He was sentenced to death for his crimes. He attempted to kill himself in his cell that New Year's Eve by overdosing on Thorazine medication, but it only managed to put him into a brief coma. It's an anti-schizophrenic medication. Oh, yeah, okay. He was originally set to be executed on April 15, 1997, but a last-minute appeal was filed to determine his mental competency. Finally, two years later, on July 6th of 1999, Gary Heidnick was executed by lethal injection. He was the last person to be executed in the state of Pennsylvania. Now, if the women in the pit sound somewhat familiar, that's probably because he was actually part of the inspiration for... Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Precious. Yes. It rubs, puts the lotion <laughs> on its skin. Or it gets the hose again. <laughs> ruff, ruff. Precious. Precious. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. I digress. Now people can get a sense of our nights in. <laughs> <laughs> That's our role play right Whoa, there. Whoa, yeah. I just meant we watched that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Precious. Okay, stop. <laughs> Would you fuck me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so meredith that was a great great story thank you so much for the suggestion again if anybody's interested in becoming a patron where can they do that mary do you remember oh it's on podbean it is on podbean yes mm-hmm. they can go to mmmpodcast.podbean.com had to think about it for a second there and uh, yes, you can. You'll see an option on there to become a patron, or if you download the Podbean app. Yes, and Meredith also wanted a shout out to the Rain organization. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. I believe the singer, what's her name? You love her, Cornflake Girl or something? Oh, Tori Amos. Yeah, it's her organization. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, if anyone is struggling. With any of this, they are a great nonprofit. Reach out to them, or if this is something you want to uh, look more into, check them out. They take um, donations to help those who have suffered this abuse. That's awesome. That is very cool. Yes, I know Tori Amos is a big proponent of that kind of stuff. She sang a beautiful song on one of her early albums about her experience being raped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, yeah, just me, uh, me and a gun. Yeah. Uh, wow it's a hard song to listen yeah it is yeah it's a very hard song so um yeah wow great i I had no idea about that organization though so good call meredith on that so thank you so much everybody yes thank you michelle thank you yes thank Thank you for joining us and everybody else have a wonderful day bye